Uh, as you know, we're in the book of Matthew, continuing our teaching there. And, you know, we're really wanting to learn how to live as kingdom of God people. We're in preparation for another kingdom in this world that we're living in today. And we live differently because we are in the family of God. Jesus is our king. And you are in kingdom of God school for the rest of your life until you're glorified in your perfected state. So that's what we're doing here today. We're in a call to come and follow. It's a parable of the laborers. And I don't know if you've had any trouble with this parable of the laborers, but I sure have. If you've read about it, it talks about these guys that come and they work early. They go to six o'clock in the morning. They work for 12 hours during the day. And then some dude comes in at the 11th hour and he works for an hour. Now look, at if I've been in the field and I've worked on a sod farm, I've worked at Raker's uh, vegetable farm, and you are there slaving in the sun. And if I'm out there at six o'clock in the morning and somebody comes out there at five o'clock and they're going to make the same wage as me, I'm going to be a little disturbed. <laughs> and so are you. So this is going to be an interesting teaching for us today. If you would stand as we read the word of God together. The call is to come and follow Jesus. Matthew chapter 19, 27 through 2016. Then Peter answered and said to him, See, we have left all and followed you. Therefore, what shall we have? So Jesus said to them, Assuredly, I say to you that in the regeneration, when the Son of Man sits on the throne of his glory, you who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. Everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother, wife or children or lands for my name's sake shall receive a hundredfold and inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last will be first. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. Now when he had agreed with the laborers for a denarius a day, he sent them into his vineyard. And when he went out about the third hour, saw others standing idle in the marketplace and said to them, you also go into the vineyard and whatever is right, I will give you. So they went. Again, he went out the sixth hour and the ninth hour and did likewise. And about the eleventh hour, when he went out, he found others standing idle and said to them, why have you been standing here idle all day? And they said to him, because we, because no one hired us. And he said to them, you also go into the vineyard and whatever is right, you will receive. So when evening had come with the owner of the vineyard, the owner of the vineyard said to the steward, call the laborers and give them their wages, beginning with the last to the first. When those came who were hired about the eleventh hour, they each received the denarius. But when the first came, they supposed that they would receive more, and they likewise received each a denarius. And when they had received it, they complained against the landowner, saying, these last men have worked only one hour, and you made them equal to us, who have borne the burden and the heat of the day. But he answered one of them and said, Friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what is yours and go your way. I wish to give the last man the same as to you. Is it not lawful for me to do what I, what I wish with my own things? Or is your, evil, is your eye evil because I am good? So the last will be first, the first last. For many are called and few are chosen. This is the word of God. And thank you, Lord, for this time that we can delve into your word and learn what you want us to learn today. I pray for hearts to be receiving from you today that the Holy Spirit, I ask you to open the hearts and the minds of each person here and may we hear truth from you that we can apply to our lives individually. We are here for a specific meeting to meet with you, our God. Please, Lord, help our hearts to be soft and open to what you have for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. Now, as you know, last week we talked about the good guy that thought he was good enough to inherit the heaven of, have, eternal life, to go to heaven because he kept all the commandments, he said. Jesus said, if you want to be good, keep all the commandments. And then he says, which ones? You shall not kill, murder, that, all those things. And this guy had the audacity to say, I have kept all these commands. And remember, there's 613 commands in Judaism. 613. And this guy says, I've kept them all. I've kept them all. Then Jesus tested him and says, oh, really, rich man? Really, Mr. Holy Guy? Go sell everything that you have. 
give it to the poor, and come follow me, then you'll have treasures in heaven. And the guy couldn't do it. And then Jesus goes on to say, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than the rich man to enter into heaven. And then the disciples pick up on this and ask a question. They say this, they were astonished. Who then can be saved? And Jesus said, with man, this is impossible. With God, all things are possible. Who can be saved? Those who believe and receive the free gift of salvation. That's who can be saved. With man, it is impossible. No way to work your way into heaven. So with that, we start our teaching today. What about those who actually come and follow? Now, Peter's going to ask the question, hey, he picked up on that come and follow theme. Come follow, come follow. And he says, hey, we're coming and following. What's in it for us, Jesus? And that's what we're going to get in here with 27 through 30. Then Peter answered and said to him, Jesus, see, see, we have left all and followed you. He's picking up on that come and follow theme with the rich man. Therefore, what shall we have? And Jesus is going to respond. Assuredly, I say to you, in the regeneration, that is when all things become new. And the Son of Man sits on his throne of his glory. You who have followed me will sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. You're going to have a position of authority in the kingdom. You're going to be judging the 12 tribes of Israel. And then he includes all of us. And everyone who has left houses, brothers, sisters, father, mother, wife, children, lands, for my namesake shall receive a hundredfold. God is a generous rewarder and inherit eternal life. And then he goes, those who are first will be last and the last first. Now, think about this. Now, please indelibly imprint this into your mind. Everyone who has left their old life, everyone shall receive a hundredfold and inherit eternal life. And may I say this loud and clear, God is a generous, generous giver. He does not just give you crumbs. He will give you an abundance. Then Jesus made this interesting statement. Those who are first will be last and the last first. What does that tell me? And what does that tell you? Hopefully that God judges very differently than we judge. See, we judge very much by appearance. We judge by how, how things look, how friendly somebody may be, how many years they've been a Christian, their position, their skill. You know what God judges? He judges the heart. He sees the motive behind everything. And I think this is going to happen. I believe this to be true. Those who are lowly esteemed on earth and their positions and the way that people see them, those not in the limelight may receive greater rewards than those who are out front, like my position. Greater rewards because they've been faithful to their calling. There will be a judgment seat for works, folks. That is called the Bema Seat Judgment. You'll be rewarded for what you've done post-salvation. This is not about your sin. Your sin has been dealt with on the cross. There's, not about, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Once you are saved, then we are called to use our spiritual gifts for his honor and his glory. That is why we are here. It says this in 2 Corinthians 5.10, We must, this is an appointment that everyone will have, all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. So there are rewards that will be given at the judgment seat of Christ. There'll be rewards or loss of rewards. I'll expand on this a little bit more in a few minutes. Again, you're not judged for your sins. Those sins were judged on the cross. This is for the works that you've done after salvation, after salvation. Now, we've been through this many times. Many times, there's going to be two slides that come up here. Number one is going to be salvation has three tenses. Three tenses. Okay? So, the next slide is going to pop right into its spot. And we, the first tense, when you believe that Jesus died for your sins, you were justified, declared righteous in the sight of God because Jesus' blood sacrifice has been applied to your life you're free from the penalty of sin. That's death and eternal separation from God. Phase two is what happens for the rest of your life. You're being conformed to the likeness of Christ, being changed. Everyone that is justified must be at some point, at least at some degree, in a process of sanctification, being conformed or changed into the likeness of Christ. This is until you die. When you die, then you are glorified. That is the state of perfection free from the presence of sin. 
So we're free from the penalty of sin with justification. The power of sin, we have the ability to say no to the flesh, no to the devil, and say yes to the Spirit. We can make a faith choice instead of a flesh choice because the Spirit of God dwells in us. And then we'll be free from the presence of sin. Please remember there are three tenses of salvation. Past, present, and future. What do you do in this, what you do in the second phase of salvation, sanctification, will determine your rewards in the kingdom and throughout eternity. Now, believers who are faithful to their calling will be given much. Those who are not faithful, who do not use their gifts, will be losing much. It says in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, these words. It talks about those who build on a foundation, which is the Lord Jesus Christ, and then produce from building on that foundation because of Jesus, gold, silver, precious stones. Those are hard minerals that'll, that'll, that'll make it through the fire or wood, hay, or stubble. Your works that'll be either burned up or be purified and, and declared righteous through the fire. He goes on to say this, each one's work, what you do for Christ, will become clear, for the day will declare it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test each one's work, whether it's genuine or not. If anyone's work which he has built on endures, can make it through the refining process, he will receive a reward. Now that reward is the word mythos. Mythos. And it actually is a, is a physical payment for, for the things that you have done. If anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved as through the fire. So that tells me that many people who think they're working for the Lord are really working for themselves, and the things that they are doing get burned up and are of no value to God. It hasn't made it through the refiner's fire. So that's an important thing to remember. But I also want you to remember this. You will stand before the Lord Jesus and give an account of your life. You have a special appointment. It'll be individual. You're not going in as Calvary Chapel and hiding in the back and hiding in the corner so Jesus doesn't see you. Oh no, it's going to be eye to eye, mano a mano, you and Jesus. This will actually happen. I don't know how that whole thing's going to occur, but it says it's going to happen, so I believe it's going to happen. Now, at that judgment, many people think, well, gosh, what am I going to do? I, I won't be able to stand. Well, no, you won't be able to stand on your own. You're standing in the righteousness of Christ. And I think at that judgment, many of us will feel Gosh, Lord, what have, look what you have done for me. And we'll be standing here looking right at the eyes of Jesus, the one who died on the cross for our sins, who left heaven and became, became a man, the man God. He became, he's all God, he's all man, but he came here to be one of us. What a trauma to leave heaven, that existence, and to come and live here. Now, I think at that time we will realize something. What he has sacrificed for us and the opportunities that I missed in serving him. And at that point, I think I'm going to feel a little bit of grief. A little bit of, oh Lord, I wish I would have done this. I wish I would have done this. But you know what? I don't think you'll experience from Jesus one second, one iota of condemnation. And we have a picture here, and I think this is what Jesus is going to do to you when you're feeling crummy on that day, he's going to grab you and give you a bear hug like Nick. Where's Nick at? Nick, Nick gives great big bear hugs. Boom, bear hugs. Right there. Okay. Going to be nice hug because God loves you folks. Jesus loves you so much. You, you, it's beyond your ability to comprehend. Now in chapter 20, Jesus will give the further instructions about serving him. And remember, this, the theme of this is it's a privilege to serve Jesus. From the beginning to the end, the earlier you come into the family of God and you really serve him, it's a privilege, it's an honor to serve him. And we're going to start out with the kingdom of God, or the kingdom of heaven is like in verse 1. For the kingdom of heaven, remember we want to learn what this kingdom of heaven is like, because this is where we're going to be spending eternity, not a thousand years and then going to eternity. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner, that would be God or Jesus, who went out early in the morning. There's a call to people to hire laborers, converts, so to speak, for his vineyard. So there's a call that goes out. Think about this. 
Everyone who responds to the call of Jesus Christ, whether it's early, mid, or late, is, 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 is a call to service to him. Every believer, this will come up on the next slide, every believer is in training for another place, another time, another dimension. This life is passing. Now, for some of you, you're biting your nails and go, oh, no, oh, no. For others of us, we're going, yay, hip, hip, hooray, things are going to change. Now, I'm not on some big course to want to jump in front of a Greyhound bus or something to end this thing, but I am looking forward to a better place than this, a better place than this, another dimension of life. Now, you are in kingdom training, and your kingdom training will affect your earthly walk. Did you hear me say that? If you're in training, it's going to change your earthly walk. If you're in training and you're lifting weights and you're looking at yourself in the mirror, you're hoping you're changing. Oh, look at my chest. My chest is getting bigger. Oh, look at my, my, my delts. Oh, they're getting bigger. My biceps. Chris, measure my arms. Measure my arms. <laughs> Believe me, that doesn't happen for the last 40 years, but that's all done. But you hope you're changing because you're working on this thing. On how you act and how you live and how you approach life and who you hang with and where you go. Is it changing? Or are you staying the same? We are all in kingdom of heaven school now. In verses 2 through 7, the call to come and follow. There's a call to come and follow at different times. Different times of life. Now, when he had agreed with the laborers. Now, Jewish people haggle for prices. Haggle, haggle, haggle. And they agreed on a, on a denarius a day. That's a day's wage. Okay, just so you know. So they agreed on a denarius a day, and he sent them out into his vineyards. Now, those are the guys that go out at 6 o'clock in the morning. Now, just remember that. 6 o'clock, they're there all day. And he went out about the third hour, that's about 9 o'clock, and saw others standing idle in the marketplace, and said to them, you also go into the vineyard, and whatever is right doesn't promise them an amount. I will, give, I will give to you. So they went. Again, he went out the sixth and the ninth hour and did likewise. In the eleventh hour, he went out and found others standing idle. Standing idle, eleventh hour. This is five o'clock in the afternoon, six o'clock in the morning, six o'clock at night. And these dudes come in at five o'clock. I want to work now. It's time for me to work. Yeah, 11, yeah. The, the last hour. And he says to them, why have you been standing here idle? all day. See, they've been there all day. And they didn't go forward. They didn't step forward. didn't respond. And he said to them, you also go into the vineyard and whoever is right, you will receive. Now, there are a few that are called late that will respond to the call. So that's just kind of some background. Now, Jesus will talk. I believe in this. When you get a teaching on this, it's variable how you're going to receive it. Some people think this talks, this is talking about rewards and the beam of seat judgment. I don't think that's it. Because these rewards are the same. At the Bema seat, they're going to be different according to what you have done for Christ. So there's something else going on here. So Jesus will talk about a general call for salvation that goes out to all humanity. Titus 2.11 says this, For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. All humans on earth. That somehow, way, the grace of God has appeared. That word appeared means shine out, enlighten the whole world of humanity like the sun, different intensities at different times. You heard the word and it was different intensities at different times. There was an appointment that you had where it became really intense and you responded to the call. And other times you were the ninth hour and kind of put it off and the twelfth hour and kind of put it off. And the 11th hour, and then you just, your last chance, and a few will jump on board at that point. This is phase one of salvation, folks. This is justification, declared righteous at the time of believing. And I believe the parable is about salvation, not rewards that you're going to get. And I'm going to emphasize something here pretty strenuously as we go through this talk. Over and over, you're going to hear Jesus is the treasure. It's not about what we get. It is about who he is. He is the treasure. There's an early call, late call, and that sort of thing. And finally, the 11th hour people will respond at the, at the, at the last point, at the last call. So, 
I want you to consider something. God, throughout your life, continues to pursue you. Comes to you. Comes to you. Comes to you. Over and over. Asking you, come now. Come now. Remember, God is always the initiator in salvation. It's never the human. Humans don't want anything to do with that God stuff. I just want to do my own thing. I don't want to be under the constraints of God. I don't want to submit to God. I don't want to submit to Jesus in his way. So it shows the persistence of the landowner continuing to come back. Why is that? Why is God so persistent with us? And the answer is this. God God continues to pursue. God is not not desiring that anyone should perish, but that all should come to repentance. 2 Peter 3.9, God is always, now hear this, he's always drawing. The Father draws in John 6.44. No one can come to me unless the Father draws him. Jesus in John, in John chapter 12, I am lifted up, I will draw all men to myself. And we know in, in uh, John 16.8, the Spirit convicts of sin, righteousness, and judgment in every heart. God is working the triunity of God to draw people to himself. Now you must realize In verse 6 and 7, the 11th hour person, there is a final 11th hour call to humanity. There is a final call to a person or to a nation. There is a day when God gives a person over to their sin. And you know what he says? Okay, your will be done. And that is when you are confirmed in your unbelief. Sad day, sad day. I don't know when that is. Because God keeps coming, and he keeps coming, and he keeps coming, and he keeps coming. But there is a day when he says, okay, have your way. Now, how do I know this? More in just a second. This this day, as you sin away your day of grace, is not dependent on age, but the condition of the person's heart. Are you confirmed in your sin? Are you hard-hearted and just not going to receive this message ever. God knows. We don't know. God knows. Okay? So that's, that's an important thing to remember. There was a day when God gives you over to your sin. When a person has refused for the last time. This, folks, is the point of no return with God. And it is a scary thought. And it is a terrifying thought. Hear what Jesus says to the nation of Israel In Matthew 13, verse 14 and 15. Now he's quoting Isaiah chapter 6, verse 9 and 10. Now the nation of Israel has been sent prophet after prophet in Isaiah. He's quoting Isaiah. Hundreds of years prophets have came. Turn and live, turn and live, turn and live. Don't follow the idols. Don't turn away from God. You can't have a divided allegiance between these idols and God. You must choose who you're going to serve over and over. And Jesus says this about that nation. Hearing you will hear and shall not understand. Seeing you will see and not perceive. For the hearts of this people have grown dull, their ears are hard of hearing, and their eyes they have closed. No more chances for you, Israel. You will be set aside. You will go into captivity. Now we know that God will readdress the nation of Israel in the tribulation period. And one-third of those will actually be saved. That's the all of Israel be saved in John chapter, or Romans chapter 11. So it can have, this, this last chance can happen to the nation of Israel, a nation, a people, or an individual. The 11th hour person is rebuked because they've been standing there idle for all that time and did not listen to the landowner's call. God many times has offered to hire them, offered them salvation, and they rejected over and over But fortunately, there are some 11th hour people that will respond. More significant information about that in just a second. Verse 8, there is a payday, a payday for everybody. So when evening had come, it's the end of the day, they're going to get their wages. They got paid every day. It wasn't a weekly or monthly or that sort of thing. So when evening had come, the owner of the vineyard said to his steward, call the laborers and give them their wages, beginning with the last to the first. The last to the first. So payday. This is everybody's going, oh goody, goody, it's the end of the day, it's time to get our money. So 
The day accounts are settled, folks. When you die, there will be a payday, so to speak. Were you genuine? That's going to be the question. Did you follow? Did you come and follow? Or did you pretend to follow? That's going to be the question. Did you use a lot of God talk and Jesus speak? A lot of words, but no life. See, there's talking gets talking done, doing gets doing done, and doing actually demonstrates that you actually believe what you say you believe. Did you surrender or were you a pretender? I kind of like to rhyme those. <laughs> surrender, pretend. So anyway, that's <laughs> only God knows. But there is a warning. Now, only, again, only God knows. It's not up for me to look at your life and say, oh, I don't think you're making it. I, yeah, no, that, is, that is not my purview. That is God's purview. Now, remember that. But listen to this. Matthew chapter 7, 21 for the 23 gives an, an amazing, scary statement. Watch what it says. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, kurios, kurios, master, ruler, owner, shall enter the kingdom of heaven. Just because you think Jesus is your Lord, not everyone is going to enter the kingdom of heaven. But, but qualifier, he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Hard stop here. What is the will of the Father? That you come to know the Son. That you have a personal relationship with the Son. That you actually had a time when you believed and received the gift of salvation. And then he goes on to those folks who believe that they were good guys and they did a lot of stuff. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name? That's a big thing in Christianity. Cast out demons. Oh, that's another big one in your name. And done many wonders and miracles in your name, Lord. We've done all these things. Look at us. Pat us on the back. What's missing here? No focus on Jesus and what he did. And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Now, take a, depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Now, think about this. I never knew you. It's more important that Jesus knows you than you saying, I know Jesus, but you don't really know Jesus. There's a whole lot of people in that in this country and in this, in this world that claim the name Christian, but indeed are not Christian. There's two billion people on the earth that claim to be Christian. And we know that out of that number, there's actually born again followers of Jesus who actually come and follow Jesus. Remember, the, the, the command is to come and follow, to be like Jesus. Not to wave at Jesus, not to cheer for Jesus, but to follow Jesus, to obey Him, is following Him. There's about 600 million out of 2 billion, 3 to 600 million, estimated to be truly born again of the Spirit. Out of 8 billion people on earth, of the 2 billion that claim to be Christian, 3 to 600 million are genuine believers. That's what the estimate is through Barna. Scary. Scary. No human, now listen to this, let me say this again, no human can judge someone else's salvation. However, you can have a strong suspicion when you're looking at someone's life and you see nothing connected with God. I mean, they've used the words, but they're absolutely divorced from any walk with Christ. John Newton said this, he's the author of Amazing grace. You know that amazing. Every, every funeral, you know, you get those bagpipes going. And, uh, uh, great, the sound, that, that, that one. He says this, when I get to heaven, there are three wonders that I will see there. The first wonder is the people I didn't expect to be there that are there. Hmm. The second wonder is how many are missing that I expected to be there. And the third wonder, he hits this one right at home. I'm shocked that I'm there. So I, I would say, okay, John, I, okay. We are told in Scripture to examine ourselves to see whether we are in the faith. That is, we examine our lives in 2 Corinthians 13.5 to see whether you are genuine or not. It's very important. Are you really following Jesus? Again, Jesus said, come and follow. Come and follow. Believe, trust in, 
Commit to following Jesus. If you are following, folks, you will be changing. No one is truly saved. Let me say this. I, do, I believe this to be true. No one can be truly saved unless they're changing. Now look, at some, some lives change slow. I mean, you're an aircraft carrier. And God saves you. Okay, the aircraft carrier takes some time to change. You're not a speedboat. That whole thing. It might take some time, but there must be some change in your life. Now examine yourself to see whether you're in faith. Now the next picture is this, 2 Corinthians uh, 5.17. Now I want you to notice something in this verse. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. What phase of salvation is that in Christ, new creation? Justification. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new sanctification. Sanctification. We have justification, free from the penalty of sin. Sanctification. All things have become new, free from the power of sin. I can live and say no to the flesh, yes to the Spirit. I can make faith choices because the Spirit of God dwells within me. Okay? So get that concept. Very important. If you are following, again, at some level, you will be obeying. Following and obeying go hand in hand. You cannot say, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ and absolutely ignore what he taught you. That is not appropriate. That's scary ground. Now, you might be saved. Again, I can't tell if you're saved or not saved. That's God. But for your own edification, you are in very dangerous ground if that's how you're living. And remember... There's a slide that's going to come up here. And this is, this is the truth. It's not about perfection. Folks, we're not going to be perfect here. There's going to be all kinds of times when we slip and fall, pick yourself up and start moving again in the right direction. Right direction. Remember, it's not perfection. It is direction. Are you moving towards Christ? Or are you running away from Christ? That is the question. Now, in American Christianity, this is very classic. American Christianity does a lot of rationalizing, a lot of justifying, and little obeying. A.W. Tozer will help us with this. Watch what he says. It'll come up on the screen. To escape the error of salvation by works, we have fallen into the opposite error of salvation without obedience. Obedience is not legalism. It is a symptom of genuine salvation. 2 Timothy 2.19 says this, Nevertheless, God's solid foundation stands firm, sealed with this inscription. God knows those who are in His. And everyone who confesses the name of the Lord must, must turn away from wickedness. Must, must. Verse 9 and 10. All the workers received the same payment, and I just said to my mind, What? What? you got to be kidding me. What? I've always had trouble with this parable until I realized that it's actually talking about salvation and not rewards. So, verse 9 and 10. And when those who came were hired about the 11th hour, and they each received a denarius. Now, if you're in the line there and the 11th hour got a denarius, you're thinking, oh, goody, goody, I'm going to get a lot more. Shock and awe. But when the first came, they supposed that they would receive more, and likewise, received each a denarius. Now, can you imagine what is going through the crowd at that point? It doesn't seem fair. Isn't that what you would say? This isn't fair. And you say with a little attitude. You wouldn't say, this isn't fair. You'd be going, this isn't fair, man. This, is, this, is, this stinks. That's how you'd approach it. If I work more, I should be paid more. Folks, that's capitalism. Isn't that in the Bible? Capitalism? If I'm an American, I should get more. The 11th hour was paid the same as the dude that worked all day, and I'm thinking, I've got that sweat band on. I've got sweat dripping down my face. I've had sweat in my eyes all day. And this 11th hour guy comes. There might be a fight in the field, boy. I'm telling you. If I would have been in that complaining, grumbling crowd. I know it. I know it. And I think you would have probably been there too. Because I would have been egging you on. <laughs> yeah. Verse 11 and 12. It's, it's not fair theme. Keeps, keeps going. And when they had received it, 
They complained. They got their denarius for the day against the landowner saying, these last men have worked only one hour and you made them equal to us who have borne the burden in the heat of the day. Now, again, this is the not fair theme. It's not fair. I did most of the work. It's not fair. I deserve more. It's not fair. They are slackers. They come in at the very last. They hid in the back and they didn't want to get involved. It's just not fair. And then you would think this. You know, God's not playing by my rules. I'm not liking this. And I want to take my ball and go home. And this is the picture that you're going to feel right here. This is us right here. I am going to be all pouty. I'll just take my ball and go home. I'm not playing anymore. Bad attitude. Wrong attitude. Verse 13 through 50. Now, this is where the truth is going to come in. Okay? It's all been the truth. (laughs) More truth is coming in to give clarity. Salvation is not fair. It's not fair. None of us deserve to be saved, folks. That's the truth. 13 through 15. But he answered one of them and said, Friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what is yours and go your way. I wish to give to the last man the same as to you. Is it not lawful for me to do what I wish with my own things? Or is your eye evil because I am good? Are you serving me for what you can get? Or are you serving me for who I am? That's the question here. Look at when God graces someone. When he graces someone, whether it's early in life, midlife, late in life, it's not about what you get as rewards. It's about who Jesus is. He is the treasure that you get. Jesus is the treasure. It's not the mythos that we get. Now, it's going to be great when God rewards us at the Bema Seat Judgment. That's wonderful, terrific. But the real treasure of heaven is Jesus. When you die and you go to heaven, Hopefully, you want to see your aunts and uncles and moms and dads and brothers and sisters and friends and all that stuff. But I hope in your mind, the number one person you want to see is Jesus. He is the centrality of heaven. Jesus died. He left heaven. He paid the price for us. We are in the kingdom because of him. He is our great treasure. You are in the kingdom of God for one reason, and he died on the cross for you. Now, there's going to be a picture on the screen here about Tetelestai. He says, the sixth cry from the cross, it is finished, Tetelestai. And it means paid in full, stamped on a bill or receipt that was paid in full, stamped when a jail sentence was over. Your sin debt has been paid in full. I mean, if that isn't the time to say amen, I don't know what is. Paid in full. Paid in full. And I want you to hear this loud and clear. No one deserves salvation. No one deserves anything but hell. Let's look at your life. Look at your mind. Look at the things we do in our lives. We are all pitiful sinners. All of us. Every single human. Are saved by grace. All undeserving until God graced us with his only begotten son. Jesus purchased us out of the cesspool of sin, folks. He purchased us. He paid the price for us. Jesus is the treasure. It's not about what I get as far as rewards. It's about who he is, whether it's early or late. Now, the thief on the cross was about as late as you can get. Okay? In Luke chapter 23, verse 42, we read these words. Now, the thief, there are two thieves on the cross died with Jesus. One of them... They both were were railing at Jesus at the beginning. But as the day went on, and Jesus says these words, Woman, behold your son. Son, behold your mother. When Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Something happened to this man that was dying. And he says to Jesus, before he dies, then he said to Jesus, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, Assuredly, Assuredly, I say to you today, you will be with me in paradise. Folks, this is the 11th hour of the 11th hour of the 11th hour. Moments before, hour before that, he's cursing Jesus, yelling at Jesus, 
And then he comes to his senses and he believes in Jesus. Eleventh hour. Treasures in this case are not the rewards you receive for service. Treasures in heaven, folks, are all about Jesus. He is the treasure. He is our great reward. And by the way, just think about, I've mentioned this before, but just for completeness, think about the adventures that await you. The creator who has created all of this stuff has unlimited creative potential. And forever you will be having an adventure after an adventure after an adventure. And as I have said before, we're not going to be there for 2 billion years. And like your kids do on the way to Cedar Point, are we there yet? Or they get there, I'm bored. You're never going to hear, are we there yet? Or I'm bored in the kingdom or in, in, in eternity. The adventures. And verse 16, the Jesus way is the last will be first. We read this. So the last will be first, the first last, for many are called, but few are chosen. Now, if you have an NIV or New American Standard, you will not see that last statement in there. Many are called and few are chosen. That's in the Alexandrian text, which is the oldest text, but it's not in the majority text in which we get the King James and the New King James from. So it's likely that it was an addition, but this was also mentioned other places, so I will elaborate on it. Many are called and few are chosen. View it this way. I think this is a, realist, a, a, a realistic way to view this. We can view the called as an invitation to salvation that goes out to humanity. The chosen are those who respond to the divine call and are saved. Closing thoughts. Now, I think you know this, but I'm going to repeat it. God's thoughts are not our thoughts. God's ways are not our ways. As high as the heavens are above the earth, his ways are higher than our ways, and his thoughts are higher than our thoughts. We're never going to understand or figure out God. Just remember that. If God chooses to grace someone or to mercy someone, that is his purview and his right. He is God. But I want you to think about something. Attitude is important to God. Attitude is important to him. And it's an honor to serve God. The longer you're in, the lo it's an honor. And it is strange to me that those who have been mercied, now mercy really isn't a word, but it's, it's a my word. Those who have been mercied in this parable are upset because God mercied someone later. There's that jealousy there. They don't deserve it. I'm better than them. They did more sin than I did. How could you ever give mercy to a murderer? How could you ever give mercy to a child molester? How could you ever give mercy? And look at your sin. And God mercied you. This jealousy, this fairness issue is a flesh thing, not a spirit thing. It's the way we are in this depraved nature. These first responders grumbled the first ones. Thought they should get everything. They grumbled, they complained, they murmured. They looked good, but they had a bad attitude. Look at when you have a bad attitude, your focus is off of God. You have been distracted. That is a tactic of the enemy to keep you from your real focus on the treasure, the Lord Jesus. This parable seems to be about salvation, at least to me. Jesus is the treasure. Jesus is our great reward. Now, hear this. This isn't in your notes, so just listen. We know that God will reward our works. We know that he is a generous rewarder. No one, and I mean no one, will feel cheated when they get to heaven. That I deserve more. That, no, you won't, that won't be there. That, that emotion will be gone. No one's going to deserve more. Everyone will be completely satisfied, blown away with what God has prepared for him, him or her and the generosity of God. I don't think we can underestimate the generosity, the amazing love of God for us. God has prepared a place for us, and it will be magnificent. Jesus is our treasure. One day we'll, we will arrive in our new home, fully furnished. And all I can say is be there. While you are here serving him, there is a tendency within Christendom 
There's a tendency for Christians to look at other people. To get an attitude about what someone else is doing. And saying, gosh, they're not doing as much as I'm doing. And I get all ticked off. And there's murmuring. Because they're not doing their share. That happens oftentimes in, in, in Christian work. It happens on your team. It happens in your workplace. It happens every place. But it happens in churches too. So one day soon. One day soon. And I believe we are on the precipice for the return of Jesus Christ. Now again, I preface my statement with, I read the late great planet Earth in 1970. And I believe it was on the precipice. It wasn't going to last a week. Jesus is coming this, this week. And I'm telling everybody, he's coming, he's coming, he's coming. But now things have accelerated to the point in our world that it matches up with what Scripture says, the preparation for Jesus coming. There is a massive, massive push towards globalism. There's a massive, massive push to kick the true God out. As it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be the second coming of Christ. There has not been a time in our country or globally in Christendom, since Christian has, has happened, there's been this much apostasy going on. So just remember that. So one day Jesus will come for you. Whether it's the rapture of the church or whether it's natural death, he will come for you. But remember, he is your treasure. And I hope that one day we will be in that throng of believers that hear this, this word. That it will send shock through your spirit. I mean, when you hear this, when you hear this trumpet go off, and the angel declares the following words, you are going to be a little bit stunned and hopefully excited. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout. It's going to be a dramatic event with the voice of the archangel and with the trump of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first, and we which are alive shall be, and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, hip, hip, hooray. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort, comfort one another with these words. Why is he saying comfort one another? Because in chapter 5, he talks about the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord is a tribulation period. You are extracted before the day of the Lord when all the tribulation judgments come pouring out on humanity. All I can say, folks, is be there. Be there. Jesus is our treasure. Now, there is a song that is a hymn, Be Thou My Vision. A middle, a, 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 a middle Irish po poet named Dallin Forgale wrote a poem in 530 A.D. That's a long time ago. 530 A.D. It was put into words in 1912 by this lady named Eleanor Hull, an old Irish, uh, a teacher that adapted it, the Irish lingo into English. And it goes like this in the third verse. Hear this. Riches I heed not, nor man's empty praise. Thou mine inheritance now and always. Thou and thou only. Not first in my heart. High King of heaven. My treasure. You are my treasure, Jesus. Thou art. Folks, we have the call to come and follow. Jesus is our treasure. He is our great reward. We are going to sing two verses of this. It will come up on the screen. Please stand as we sing this together. And I'm asking you to go from the bottom of your heart and just sing it with gusto. Be thou my vision. The last two verses. We sing that third and fourth verse again. Just because they're so good. Riches I heed not, nor man's empty praise.
Our Father, we thank you for the gift of the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you that he is our inheritance. He is our great reward. He is our treasure. Thank you for the gift of your son. Father, right now I pray that if someone in here or in the range of my voice does not know you as their savior, that this will be the moment of time, their appointment, their hour, when they realize their need for a savior. And they will say, I believe you, Jesus. I put my trust in you, Jesus. And I receive the gift of salvation that you have offered. Jesus' death paid the penalty for all of our sins. Thank you, Jesus, for the gift of life. I receive you as my Savior and my Lord. Thank you for this time together. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord's face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace. The peace of God that passes all understanding. May it cover this body of believers. In Jesus' name, amen.